HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Modernist Pantry, providing magical ingredients for the modern cook. For free videos, recipes, tips, and tricks, visit blog.modernistpantry.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network, broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you pre-recorded from the Manchester Hilton here in beautiful San Diego. That's, Join- the, that's the Hyatt. Where are we? The Hyatt. Not We're the not at the Hilton? No, the Hyatt. So, hi, look. Are they giving us promotion? Is promotional consideration being provided for by the... No, not in this no. case. So, we're, we're paying straight boat? We're, so, we're, I'm at the Marriott. We're stealing <laughs> the space, to be honest. No, I could be anywhere. I am, uh, you know, like, you know, pimp out the place of your choice because I have no feelings one way or the other for them. Oh, I will say this, though. We are at a, a Grand Hyatt, not at a Park Hyatt, which, you know... If you've been at a Park Hyatt, you never got to, you know, that's it. That's all you got to. So I am not, even though I am in the great state of California, uh, I am not joined, as usual, by Nastasia de Hammer Lopez because she's in New York where she belongs. I, in fact, uh, am out be- uh, because Pernod Ricard is hosting a series of events called uh, BACON, which stands for, uh, what does it stand for? Bartender Advocacy Convention. Bartender Advocacy Convention. So don't bother calling your questions in to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Don't bother calling because this is pre-recorded. But I am joined today with, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes guest, uh, evil cocktail overlord Don Lee. How you doing, Don? I thought I was the benevolent cocktail overlord now. Now that we're partners, I'm supposed to switch you to benevolent, huh? That's what I said before. Yeah. Do you prefer to be benevolent or do you... the best evil is the secret evil, not the overt evil. So what's your, like, what's your favorite, like, what do you mean? Like, who's secretly evil? Yoda? The, the devil. The devil's not secretly evil. The devil is evil. But yeah, but the devil's convinced you that there is no devil, which is the secret evil. Whoa. What? <laughs> Since when did the devil convince you that there was no devil? Listen, how many people believe that there is an actual devil? The Charlie Daniels band? Yeah, most people don't believe there's a devil, though. Uh, like, some of the greatest stuff is all devil bait. Look. Like you have uh, uh, Paradise Lost, Milton. It's true. Devil, so best I, it's character. A, it's an ice, icy Devil, though. Devil. 
Charlie Daniels Band, yeah. Devil. What do you guys think? But, oh, we also have in the, it's not in the studio, it's in the hotel room, but we also have in the hotel room with us today, Kevin Denton. How you doing? Hello. So uh, I knew Kevin first when he was the uh, bartender, head bartender, beverage director. I don't know. What was your title over there? All those at one point or yep. another? At uh, WD50 Restaurant. And uh, by the way, we are kind of brothers in the having the restaurant shut down for losing the space kind of a situation. Slightly different because your crew got uh, handsomely paid and they knocked the building down, whereas I was just like, yeah, you can't have space anymore. That's what they told me. They're like, yeah, I want that space back. But, you know, similar kind of a situation. Yeah, I don't know how handsome it was, but they got paid something. Well, I'm not saying, I mean, like, I'm just saying, it's like they got paid something. They, yeah. they weren't like, wah, wah, it's over. You it's a I mean? very large building now. It's really weird. Yeah, you know, when I walked past, so WD-50 was uh, my brother-in-law, Wiley Dufresne, now of uh, Dew's Donuts, new donut shop out there in Williamsburg. Um, is that really Williamsburg, or is it like pseudo-Williamsburg? It's Williamsburg. Yeah, it's prime Williamsburg. Prime Williamsburg, yeah. Like, how close is it to Sam Mason's uh, ice cream shop? Oddfellows. Eight blocks. So close. Yeah, and it's, 12. It's, it's right around the corner from Brooklyn Brewery. It's the back of Brooklyn Brewery, if you know where that is. I know where Brooklyn did, has Brooklyn Brewery moved. I used to work at an art studio on that on the block where Brooklyn was back in the day. Back in the yeah, day, I think I've said it's this. The next on the, block over. I've said this on the on the radio show before, but when I used to work out there, there was a Mr. Softy ice cream truck, which is like the ice cream truck of the of New York. You know the yeah. Mr. Softy, but uh, this one had only like two or three of the notes worked, and they didn't sell any ice cream. They just went around the streets selling drugs, <laughs> and it, only like two or two or three of the you know music things worked. So it was like, bang, 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 bang. like traveling around in uh, Williamsburg. It was pretty sweet. It was nice. Was that Packable's Cannon you were just doing? Uh, no, it was like uh, I was trying to remove all the notes from from Turkey in the Straw. Like the classic ice cream song is Turkey in the Straw. So anyway, so Kevin Denton was uh, at uh, WD50 and also at uh, Alder, right? Sure was. And then went uh, straight from there to your current job. And the, I'm going to let you say what the title is. Oh, are you going to make me? Yeah. I'm the national mixologist. Right. At... Pernod Ricard. Right. So Pernod, So for those of you that don't know, this actually might be interesting. I wish we could have callers in because this is kind of a, a fascinating job. So like bartending is in general, in general, like a young person's kind of game in the, in the modern world, right? So you, you know, you work kind of these uh, like kind of long, crazy hours. You tend to, yeah, I'm not going to say you tend to drink a lot, but you tend to drink a lot. Um, a lot of people burn out, go do something else. But the kind of like the viable career path after that, you can go be, um, you can go try to open a bar, you can be a brand ambassador, you can go kind of do, your job is a little more rare, right? It doesn't come, come up as often. So why don't you describe kind of what you do? So it's, um, I would say about 30% of the job is developing the drink strategies for all our different brands in our portfolio. So every year they have a plan for how they want to market their spirit. And uh, <clears throat> I come up with recipes or ways of drinking that product that they're going to highlight that year. Uh, so you kind of follow the trends and see what people are into. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the Moscow Mule became like the thing that everybody wanted to glom on to. Bizarre. Was that your fault? Who did that? That wasn't me, but... Uh, there's backlash now. You know, there's mule backlash. Really? I mule just started kicks. making mules. I literally just started making mules, like, last like last month. 
they're not Moscow mules, but you know, yeah. I started making like you know different kind of mules. So what was the background? They're typically a poorly made drink. So for those of you that don't know, it's a uh, it's uh, like, a, well, vodka would be vodka and ginger beer. And what else is in there? Lime. Lime. Lime, right? In, 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 a, in a copper cup, if you have the money for it, right? Or some sort of metal cup. A mug. Yeah. In some sort of a mug kind of a situation. Yeah. Cocktail King would sell these mugs. Yeah, we would. The original mugs were sold by the Smirnoff's Corporation, correct? Uh, the original mugs were actually made uh, in-house by the Cock and Bull Tavern in Los Angeles. Uh, and so it was their house drink. And they made this mug, and uh, a lot of people stole it. And eventually, uh, a bunch of uh, liquor companies, including Smirnoff, decided to use it as a promotional item. So, yeah, In Smirnoff, what, the 60s? What are we talking, oh, 50s, uh, 60s? Do I look like Dave Wondrich here? I'm, I'm the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was the 60s. 60s. So then, uh, what's your favorite, by the way, what's your favorite, like, go out in New York? You like the Jinjin Mule, like Pegu's Jinjin Mule? They've had it on the menu forever. You like that drink? Yeah, it's, it's a good, good drink. drink. Jinjin Mule, I like that. And it has the old, uh, you know, Kenta used to do the, the uh, two pieces of ginger with the skewer resting on the glass as his thing. Man, I like candy ginger. I like that. But the Mule, often, horribly made drink, right? Like, how often do you have it out and you're like, wow, that's a well-made drink? Well, it, I think the whole thing hinges on the acidity, right? Because the ginger beer is typically a little sweet. Unless you get the right one, it doesn't have that ginger bite that you're after. So unless they're putting fresh lime juice in it, you're kind of losing uh, what makes it exciting to drink. You know, right, it's, it's kind of a structureless nightmare scenario. It's like a dark and stormy, you know, if you just have the rum and the ginger beer, it's like, what is this missing? Oh, acid. Right. But it's also like... That's you, lime wedge, right? It's like the JGL. You gotta have that. You L. gotta have the L. Yeah. JGL. Jameson Ginger Lime. Oh, oh man, you guys are just pushing Pernod products like <laughs> the end of the freaking world is coming. These people. Let me tell you something about liquor people. People. For those of you that aren't actually in this business, like these are for a bunch of crazy reprobates. They are the most on message people like on earth. Like I have spent my whole life kind of like needling. Not my whole life. Like professional life, needling like liquor people. Like, okay, so who used to own? Can I even say this? Who used to own? They don't make it anymore. Navon. Who who used to make? That? It was a Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier on that. So like, I was mercilessly making fun of the name. I was doing a demo for them at uh, the French Culinary Institute, and it was a French guy that actually showed up. You know, repping yeah. the product. This was before they reformulated. This was when they first came out. Well, I'm not going to say it tasted like poison, but like. You know, you draw your own conclusions. I won't, the words, it tasted like poison, won't come out of my mouth. But the original formulation, like, I'm not going to say I was a giant fan either. You guys, did you have it? Uh, it was I, a vanilla liqueur. Yeah, I remember this? having it a long time ago. And they did a pretty heavy push on it. You know, they got some pretty good people behind it. Uh, I think Will Goldfarb was doing some work mm-hmm. for him. Anyway, they did a uh, demonstration at that French culinary and uh, I did it, and the French guy was there, and he, you know, no one knew me from Adam, anyone at that point in my life. And so I would only call it Navin. Like, I would only, like, in all the backstage and everything, I'd call it Navin, Navin. And he's like, he's like, it's no fun. And I was like, come on, man. I know. It's Navin. And I kept on doing it, but, like, during the demo, I didn't mess him over. But, like, liquor people don't have a sense of humor about their product. True. I don't know about that. I think that um, if you're new to it or over, everybody is overly precious about some things, you know, and they don't, they take certain things really seriously. I would say there's a, there's plenty of people 
particularly people that came up on the operation side that worked in bars that then they make the jump over to work for brands that, you know, have a sense of humor about what the what they do and about, you know, selling out, all those other things that go along with it. And then there's, you know, brand owners and people like that that maybe, you know, they're sinking a lot of dough into these things, so they take it pretty seriously. Empathy, you know, we got to have a little empathy. I have, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not really empathy. Yeah. I'm not an empathy. <laughs> no one's really accused me of like being Mr. Empathy. Here's another thing. So let me let me just stir up a can of worms because Kevin, you don't mind. So Kevin doesn't mind. That's like uh, so. He, here's the thing, right? You have a whole group of people coming into the liquor industry, and so hey, I apologize. A lot of t- we're at a liquor conference, and I got liquor people here, so we're going to be talking about the liquor business a little bit. Um, so there seems to be kind of two classes of people that kind of go into this business on the liquor side. And this is something I think that, again, that hopefully the listeners find interesting, but they're you know probably not exp- – unless they're in the business, aren't exposed to how this works. Even young bartenders, I don't think, really know how this crap works. You have two major classes of people. You have the people who actually did the job and love product and go – you know love the bar world and love the people and go into it. These are people – like who have been doing it for a number of years and, you know, who are now moving in, into that world. And then you have the marketing people who just came out of school and they could be selling they could be selling cars, they could be selling booze. Toilet paper, toothbrushes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So how do you deal with those people? Well, honestly, the problem isn't even necessarily they're like right out of college, this is their first job and their background is, you know, school marketing. A lot of times the executives and the higher ups they're people who also came out of like the packaging industry as well. They're you know worked for Johnson and Johnson, a family company, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, as an executive there, and now they're running the liquor business. So there is a huge disconnect, uh, you know, from the bottom to the top, not only on the marketing side, but just on kind of in, in the corporate executive side as well. I think that's exactly right, and there's certainly a frustration that is bred out of like because spirits. Unlike almost anything else, like you don't go in and say, um, you know, give me this brand ice cream. You know, you don't call your ice cream brand at a place. You don't call a brand most places, you know, maybe when you're buying a car, but that's like a big purchase that happens infrequently. Whereas people drinking happens with relative frequency. And then the fact that you call out different brands, that you have allegiances to these brands, um, makes it sort of a weird, unique animal. And I think if you grew up working in a bar and you love certain brands and you love what sort of they're about, like you like their story, you like the people that are surrounding it, um, <clears throat> then you have this like affinity towards it. Um, so then if someone is coming in and telling you whatever, it could be it's a cog, it's a whatever you know, it's like, well, no, it's not. You know, we spent all this time really falling in love with your brand and, and telling its story when I was working behind the bar. Like, why don't you get that this is something more than just a, a commodity? Right. But you also, I get the impression that the people who come out of the actual bar world have more of an appreciation for kind of like how to take care of people. Like I can't tell you how many bar people I've spoken to have either become brand ambassadors or working on corporate side, you know, you know, other than ambassadors like in your kind of position who just get like virulently angry 
at people who don't kind of understand how the flow of information or how the how the kind of job works and it's to the detriment of the what's weird is it's to the detriment of the industry and the product but also just so much freaking money is spent in such weird ways the weirdest ways i mean it's just crazy right Uh, yeah i mean people make decisions based on um surveys and studies and marketing assessments the same way like we conduct presidential polls like you're calling someone on a landline at 10 o'clock in the morning like you're gonna get crazy people you know the responses (laughs) that you're receiving for these studies are are not necessarily skewed towards the actual consumer and i think that maybe that is like laziness on the part of the people that are conducting the surveys and you know trying to get mine real data about how people use their products maybe it's Maybe there aren't good tools for figuring out that information, but, you know, it is, I think bartenders are a wealth of information. You know, they're the ones sitting behind that invisible line every night, like eavesdropping on everybody and getting a, uh, you know, a sense for what people like and what they don't like. You can spot the trends, you can see what, you know, what the masses are drinking. And uh, I think spirits brands try to talk to bartenders but maybe they don't talk to enough bartenders right and you also i mean like uh you know again hopefully you don't mind talking about this crap but like you deal on with both like kind of like the higher end cocktail bars and also like qsr restaurants like uh you know similar in style to applebee's let's say i deal directly with applebee's i didn't want to call it out because i didn't know whether you're allowed (laughs) to say it but it's like you know you're dealing with these very kind of different levels so what's that like all of a sudden having because you know you spent the entire you're, you're you know for years the years that I've known you you know you've dealt almost exclusively with a very like high end slice of the cocktail world and then all of a sudden you're like boom now you're dealing still dealing with that slice but now you're also dealing with Applebee's what's that like uh, it's the most challenging and rewarding part because I think that um, when it's blue skies, when you're creating drinks with zero restrictions, which Wiley was really great about sort of letting me do whatever I wanted creatively, um, that is, you know, in some ways limiting, you know, like when you have constraints, when you have, uh, you know, a certain cost that it has to come in because, you know, these places sell their drinks very inexpensively, um, you have a set number of ingredients that you can use because if they have thousands of locations, you know, the supply chain alone for getting stuff is difficult. So you have a lot of constraints and then it's, you know, it's all little uh, puzzles, right? You know, it's like I've got X, Y, and Z. I have to create something at this price that hits, you know, these touch points that people are into. You know, what does someone in... Kansas City want that, you know, someone in Atlanta wants that someone, you know, you're really trying to hit a common denominator with a broad slice of different types of people. So I don't really think of it as dumbing down as much as it is like try to be 90% comfortable and maybe like 10% aspirational, like try to pull people that maybe don't get exposed to high-end cocktail bars, like try to bring them up a little bit through quirky ingredients or different ways of doing drinks. Um, 
it's not a it's not a bad thing to get out of the like ivory tower and see what the the masses are into you know and like uh i just did a big project with a, a large national chain that everybody all the listeners would know um and working with their bartenders like the age range was 21 to 63 like one uh participant in this training had uh three of her kids that worked at the same restaurant that she did so like you have these multi-generational like in smaller communities like it's pretty wild to think about that you're creating something that then gets disseminated to the four corners of the globe and you want to make sure that it's cool and then it's quality. It has to be bulletproof too though, right? Totally bulletproof. Because there, if there's a will, there is a way to screw these things up six ways to Sunday. Like yeah. they just butcher stuff sometimes. At, at every minute in my life I learn how easy it is to have someone else screw up your idea. Yeah. Every second of my life I learn a little bit more how easy it is to have someone screw up your idea. So now, correct me if I'm wrong, this is how it works, right? So let's just say Applebee's because it's coming to my head. Applebee's, right? They have X number of slots on their menus for drinks, right? Mm -hmm. So you're there, you're on Pernod Ricard's side. Let's say Pernod Ricard is like, they own Beef Eater for those of you, right? They, they own Beef Eater. That's like the, the gin that they own. And so you're going in there with uh, your beef eater thing. Someone from Diageo. Diageo owns Tanqueray. So Diageo is coming in. You're coming in. And you're each trying to sell this new recipe to Applebee's so that they'll be like – you sell them on the recipe, right? For mm -hmm. someone, I'm assuming someone like Applebee's, you're selling them on a recipe idea, mm -hmm. right, on a concept and a story that they can push out on their menus in a very easy way and execute. So when someone pulls the trigger on the beef eater drink instead of on the Tanqueray drink – for something like that, like how much quantity am I talking here? Like how many cases is that? I mean, it, it, it all depends on how popular the drink is, but if you have to keep something in stock because it's on your menu and if you have, a, say there's a thousand locations, um, you know, there's a thousand bottles that you have to purchase right there and no one's buying a single bottle at a chain. So there's a thousand cases. So without, really even selling a drink that's already a thousand cases so it's a big whoopty deal it's uh it's a big deal and if you get something <clears throat> if you get a drink on the menu that's popular like uh i remember when i was at alder and i had a, a drink named after dr dave uh who is a uh infamous lower east side uh medic that would take care of uh people in food and beverage um when when I tallied that we had sold uh, 10,000 Dr. Dave script pads, I thought that was a huge deal. And then I got a drink on a menu at a big national chain, and that happened in like a month. You know, So that sort of stuff, scale is pretty crazy once you start digging into it. That's got to be rewarding, huh? Super rewarding. All right, now here's another one. This is a tough side. So, and you, again, you've been on both sides, obviously, because you started in the bar world. There's the way that the bar, the way that the liquor business works is the liquor business hires like nice, friendly people that other people like, right? So that you will hang, you being you, one of these people, will hang out with the people who are purchasing liquor. We then, because we like you, when we're coming up with another spec or if we've done an event with you, you force us to come up with a spec for the event. So now we have a spec with that product. We use that product. That seeps down 
And it's all done on this kind of friendship basis, but it ends up actually being a big monetary benefit for the company. Not that the bartenders who are using the product are losing. And I always kind of think, like, is this kind of okay or is this weird? Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, I didn't really do much with brands when I was a bartender. I kind of wanted to be agnostic so I could do whatever I wanted and not be beholden to anybody. Um, That said, I think that business has generally been run off of relationships. And just because it's a liquor company that's, you know, hiring you to do events and coming into your bar and spending money, like, I don't know that that's any different than the way business is run generally. Um, It's certainly not quid pro quo. um, But if you, I would, I would venture to guess that if you like the people that work for a company, you're more likely to utilize their stuff, be it shampoo or vodka or toilet paper, whatever. Like, Getting personable toilet, people. Toilet paper, I, I buy strictly based on the product. It has nothing to do with the people. It's like, it's just between me, the paper, and my behind. That's it. That's it. Do, yeah, does it, does it take care of the cheeks? That's why you... That's a, although, that's, you know, that's actually a freaking lie. My, my wife's grandpa used to work for the Scott Paper Corporation, and oh, so see? I buy freaking Scott. Wow. How about a seventh generation? You know, you're thinking seven generations ahead. You're not thinking of the people you're buying from, but the future. Come on. You want, you want oh, yeah. stuff Listen. that's going to be good to the environment. Okay, okay, but where, what's your thoughts on paper? Do you know that every time you save a tree, you hurt a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like your toilet paper is being produced from the Amazonian rainforest. You know what I mean? Like there is some dude in or dudette, there's some woman in Oregon with like growing like hair plug trees you know, like in those, you've, you've driven past them, right? And they're coming up and then they pulp those suckers and they make paper. So as long as the toilet paper is produced in a way that doesn't have it, paper used to be an environmental nightmare from a waste stream perspective, right? Mm-hmm. But if this person, if, you know, she wants to have a farm and she wants to grow trees so that I may wipe my butt like, you know, and I have the money to buy the tree product to wipe my butt, like what's so bad about that? Well, if you, uh, if you really like that woman that's got that farm, you're going to go with her stuff, right? If I knew who it was. Yeah. I mean, There's I, not a lot of transparency in the toilet paper industry. No, pulp is pretty much commodified. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, know, you don't care. Now, now you, do buy, you do buy. So, you know, Miley Carpenter runs the Food Network magazine, badass. My, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, she is like, she is a, has very specific paper towels that she likes. She, they don't pay her or anything, but she only uses, uh, what's the brand name? Viva. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Huh, interesting. She's a Viva woman with her paper towels. Finds them to be a superior quality paper towel. They're a really good paper towel. Yeah. I like a bounty. You're myself. a bounty paper yeah. towel person? It's Why? It's thick. Yeah. It's uh-huh. very absorbent. What's their motto? The quicker picker upper? It is. Can it you is. believe that? I don't know how quick it is, but it definitely picks it up. I don't know that I need my paper towels to be luxurious. Although I do detest, for instance, on the TV when they're marketing a paper towel, they're like, look, I can use Windex and then I can, uh, I can wipe it up. I can wring it out and use it again. Nobody does this. Nobody does that. Nobody does this. No. It's like if you, I'm going to use it. You clearly did not grow up in an immigrant household because, yes, 
totally wring out paper towel and reuse paper towels whoa, all the time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're going to reuse the towel, then you use a cloth towel. Use a bar towel. It depends on the job. But paper towels, definitely reused all the time growing up. Hmm. What? For real? Yeah, for real. In California? In California. And, and to this day, like, I don't always reuse paper towels, but depending on what, I'm, on what I'm washing, if I'm using a paper towel, I will often, like, rinse it, wring it out, and then, like, continue to clean with it. That's fair. I mean, I, I cook a ton, and I just keep it a paper towel around, use that, like, my side towel, and it'll be dirty, and then you, it gets multiple uses. I wouldn't wash it and hang it up or yeah, dry it. Yeah, I wouldn't dry it. No, clearly not. Look, if it's a quick wipe, I'm using, like... I'm using a bar towel, a kitchen towel, and, like, that stays with me, like, the entire time, which is why, like, when my kids go to wipe something off the floor with one of the kitchen towels, I'm like, ah! <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they try to put it back up on the counter. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't you hate that? Like, once the towel hits the floor, it's on the floor. I don't give a five-second rule to those suckers. You don't, you don't have a little red bucket in your kitchen and you put it in? I don't do the sanitizer bucket. Uh, you do the sanitizer bucket? Kevin? No. No one does the sanitizer bucket. I would venture to guess a lot of... But Wiley doesn't even do sanitizer bucket yeah. at home, and he's a freak. Yeah. But anyway, my point being that if, I, if there's a possibility that it's something that I'm not going to mind, like I bust out the paper towels when something horrible has happened. You know what I mean? Like I'm picking up glass... There's a um, spill of blue liquid, yeah, which so, is always the case in a yeah, paper towel you know, commercial. Yeah, because like, like what I do is someone brings me blue curacao as, a, as like, you know, here, thank you for inviting me to your house. I smack it onto the floor. I do like a <laughs> Dikembe Mutombo, nothing my house, bam, I smash it on the floor. And then all that glass and blue liquid is being soaked up in my paper towel. And that's yeah. how it goes. And you want the quicker picker upper for that. Yeah. I don't know. You, you, don't, a, you don't do the cat litter, like for like oil spills, and then you just you sweep it up? You keep cat litter in your house? Yeah, the garage, you know, in the shop. You live you in New a York garage. City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, in a shop, you got oil spills, you got, you got, the, you got the cat litter. I'm for the cat litter, so you, you like that as opposed to, like, the more expensive, like, uh, spill-absorbing things. Cat litter, that's a yeah, good way to do it. cat litter works. And then where do you dispose of it? Do you take it to the dump like a real person, or do you throw it in the trash like a butthead? No, you, you clearly put it with the oily rags, which then go, like, you know, separate hazardous pickup. Come on. We don't have hazards. Everything's hazardous. What, what kind of shop are you running here? Every, look, we have, like, where I am in Connecticut, when I'm in Connecticut, we have our own special dump. You have to drive your hazardous waste out to it, and there's a guy who yells at you if you do it wrong. Yeah. This is where you take your batteries. You know, you're not, you're not throwing your batteries in a fire, are you? Well, we well, just talked about that today. Like, we're, like, you're not allowed to put batteries in a fire, although now I have an extreme desire to <laughs> dispose of all my batteries in the fire. So, anyway. All right, so... Uh, Kevin, I was told that you had some interesting questions about uh, how cocktails work with milk. What do you got? So it's popping up a lot, and um, something that I do is field a lot of media, uh, media requests, and I see like whey popping up in cocktails a lot. Like how uh, are people using it? <clears throat> how people are using like, it? Are they literally buying whey powder and adding whey powder? Or I think they... they're splitting milk and using it, you know, as a, you know, something to froth it up. I've seen whey tonic out here in California. Whey tonic? What's that? Whey and tonic. As a, just a street? Wait, no no like alcohol, a, just yeah. whey and tonic? Mm-hmm. In California? I think in L.A. First of all, are you, are you making fun of L.A.? <laughs> if you mix whey and tonic, 
it will foam like an egg cream because the whey has a lot of foaming properties to yeah. it and the tonic has bubbles in it. This seems to me to be um, a nightmare. Like, does it taste but good? But if you, you like tried it? egg creams. I don't. Okay, I want to. I've tried so hard to like egg <laughs> creams. I even like the fact that it contains neither egg nor cream. Like, everything about it, like... Seems uh, right up your alley. See, well, it's totally right up my alley. Like, Fox's You Bet Syrup, mm. I don't actually like it, but I like the idea of it. I mean, it's, it's garbage. It's not yeah. a good product, but, like, I, I, the idea of it I love. Like, Lower East Side, New York, like, Jewish history, seltzer-based, all of that. Awesome. Egg creams, blow. They're just not good. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that point. I think, you know, it's, it's not what I want. But no. Don, what about you? Are you an egg cream fan or no? You know, I didn't grow up with an egg cream. It's interesting. It's not really something I ever pine for. I'll take a root beer float. But Any day. Uh, yeah. A root beer float? That even, is even delicious. Even a Coke float. Delicious. Coke float? Eh. Yeah. Do you, know what I, I, you know who I was? I was that kid who ha- would have the Diet Coke float. I used to literally order Diet Coke floats. That's strange to me. Because I liked, I liked Diet Coke because I, I only, I grew up, this people is probably indicative of who I am as a person, but I grew up drinking Diet Coke as my water. So like, you know how you like might come in, no, you, know, you know how you might do? come in and have water? I would come in and have Diet Coke. See, I, I ended up loving Diet Coke when I was an RA in college because that was the one thing no one drank, and that meant that as the RA, I just had a lot of it, and I'd end up drinking it. Why no one drink Diet Coke? Yeah, I don't know. Who, who, I didn't know you were an RA. I was an RA. I was actually John DeBerry's RA. Wow. John DeBerry was a bartender at PDT, and then now is a, uh, what's his title at uh, Momofuku? Uh, head mixologist? Uh, I don't know. Wow, is that true? Bar director, no, maybe? Bar director, I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I was just poking fun at Kevin. Why the hell did people <laughs> not drink Diet Coke? What's that all about? What you're in drink? college, you know, your metabolism is high, you can just drink the, the uncut stuff. But why would you do that? You know, they, 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 they went to the Mountain Dew, they wanted to live the extreme lifestyle. Well, everybody who knows me knows that when I was in college, when I wanted to stay up, all I would drink is Diet Dew. I would have cases and cases of Diet Mountain Dew. And if I was in a car trip, I would just load the back of the car up with Diet Mountain Dew, then pretzels, because I like pretzels, just like box after box of pretzels. And then, uh, believe this or not, this works because uh, it's just the right amount of prunes. This boxes of prunes. Like, yeah, I was going to go with fiber tablets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I was like prunes, pretzels, and Diet Dew. And you would just load that into the car and you'd only have to stop for gas. So I would drive from, like, Connecticut down to, uh, like, deep Florida, like Sarasota, in one shot, 24 hours straight, boom. It, don't do this. It's really stupid. Like, any young people out there, driving for 24 hours straight is really stupid. It's, like, it's dangerous. Don't think of other people, not just yourself. It's really, really dumb. I remember one time... Uh, and if you're having that many prunes, like... You're going to need to stop. <laughs> no, it's like, if the thing is, is if you're not eating right and you're sitting, your body kind of shuts down. So you're just like, <laughs> you need something to even keep you like relatively human. And so you're just pounding this stuff and, you know, going down the highway. But yeah, it's just really stupid. I can remember being so tired as I was driving, 
that I was like, I remember, this is the worst, I shouldn't even say it, it's so horrible. I was, I nodded off, and I, as I nodded, I woke up, and there was, I was like, 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 kind of drifting into a cop car. And I was like, <laughs> pull over, pull over now. I, he didn't say that, because he didn't see it. Like, I was like, I need to pull over now and sleep. But it's really stupid. Why do young people always want to do that? You know, the brain is not fully formed yet. You know, it's a dangerous time. Really dangerous. But uh, still to this day, I like to diet too. Diet too. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to come to uh, gonna do a, a quick break. I actually, because we're pre-recording, I don't know who's sponsoring me. Perhaps it will be modernistpantry.com. Go to modernistpantry.com for all of your modernist needs. In fact, we actually went to modernistpantry.com for some of our modernist That's needs true. for the we seminar did. I did today. When we get back, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the seminar. Maybe I'll be brought to you by Jewel, the immersion circulator from Chef Steps. Perhaps this show will be brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, which, by the way, is not... There is an actual... Do you know this? You know Bob's Red Mill, right, Kevin? No. What? So Bob's, you know Bob's Red No, you don't know this? So if you go into oh, the yeah. supermarket, they have, like, this, like... Uh, now, a lot of supermarkets have an entire section with all these little bags, these little, like, one-pound bags of, like, every random grain, pseudo-grain... Oh, sure, 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 yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob's Red Mill, Xanthan, that's where you get Xanthan, yeah. also. Anyway, so there's, like, and there's a picture of this guy, Bob, on it, and, you know, for years, I was like, that's horse crap, there's no freaking Bob, Bob's not a real freaking guy, this is like a marketing gimmick, there's actually a Bob. Who knew? I, well, I didn't know that, I found out there's actually Bob, but here's the weird thing, there are real sticklers about this, is that it is not... Like, if you, if, like, when they were first doing the promos and they made us do the promos for talking, right? They said, uh, just make sure you don't say Bob's Red Mill. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? They're like, they hate it when you say Red Mill as though the Red and the Mill are separate, like they might have some other kind of mill, some other color of mill, or perhaps, like, there's, Bob's Red Mill and also Bob's Red Truck. You know what I mean? It's not like that. You know what I mean? So it's, I thought you were going with like a communist angle that this was like the people's mill. It's like the Red <laughs> Mill. Well, they probably also hate that. But it's like Bob's, it's Red Mill. Red Mill. Red Mill. Red Mill. Not, Is that a kind of mill? No. It's a thing. It's Red Mill. Okay. It's Red Mill. Bob's Red Mill. So Bob's Red Mill might actually be... But here's the other problem with doing... Bob's Red Mill, very good. I use their products, actually, occasionally. But uh, they made me say a bunch of stuff about nutrition. And as you know, I'm anti-nutrition. Like, I am vehemently opposed to almost every form of saying that X, Y, or Z is a healthy thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I find it's almost entirely horse crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? To me, like health in, and this might only make sense to liquor people, but the, the health spin that's put on things in the food world is akin, exactly akin to me, the marketing spin that, you know, different companies put out about their liquor, which what percentage, not of what Pernod Ricard says, which is all gold dripping from the, from the mouths of angels, but like other liquor companies, what percentage of what they say is horse crap? I mean, everybody bends the truth a little, right? So I think <clears throat> I think we might be over-obsessed with the authenticity origin story. Like, sometimes a product is just made somewhere, and it's made in a factory, and, like, you could be straight with that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my point. My point is is that, is that every, everybody 
like wants there to be kind of something bigger, right? And I think sure. Well, the, stories we we as a people want to hear stories, right? Right. But it's the same thing with nutrition and food. It's like these horse hockey stories that like have that make no freaking sense. Anyway, so perhaps they are sponsoring us today. I don't know. Uh, they probably, if they play this, if this doesn't get cut out, they will probably never sponsor me again. But my my point is, is that let other people make their false nutrition claims, and you know it's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, as for me, like I focus on taste, and I think that they have some. I think that the good thing about them is you can get some interesting products you couldn't otherwise get. That's all you need to know. You don't need to have. You don't need to say, oh, good source of thiamine. Do you need to say that? No, you don't. Uh, you know, Kevin, when was the last time, do you go to doctors on a regular basis? Do you do your yearly checkup? Once a year, yeah. Yeah. You ever had your doctor, and then every couple of years they do a blood workup on you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You ever have that doctor say, you know what you need? More thiamine. Well, it's because I have so much of Bob's Red Mill that uh, my thiamine <laughs> levels are off the charts. And niacin, just like through the freaking Yeah, so much niacin. All right, all right, all right. So we're going to do a quick commercial break. We don't know who's going to bring it to you, but we'll be right back. Modernist Pantry was created by food lovers and cooking issues fans just like you. Janie, Chris, and the Modernist Pantry family share your passion for experimentation and have everything you need to make culinary magic happen in your own kitchen. Professional chef, home cook, food enthusiast, no matter what your skill or experience, Modernist Pantry has something for you. They make it easy to get the ingredients and tools you need and can't find anywhere else so you can spend less time hunting and gathering and more time creating memorable dishes and culinary experiences. Visit ModernistPantry.com today to discover why Cooking Issues listeners call Modernist Pantry the cook's secret weapon. Be sure to check out their new kitchen alchemy. It's not really new anymore, Dave. It's like, you know... Anyway, uh, be sure to check out their Recent. new Kitchen Alchemy blog at blog.modernistpantry.com for free recipes, tips, and tricks. And don't forget to follow Modernist Pantry on social media to keep up with what's new and exciting in the world of culinary ingredients and tools. And we're back. Okay, so listen. Uh, Kevin, you were talking about wave. We never actually... Oh, Kevin's fixing himself a Tecate. How exactly are you doing the Tecate? I want to know how a true professional prepares their Tecate beer. First of all, he's using a bar spoon to open it, which is an approved method to open. Uh... What do you think about people, Kevin, who can't open a bottle without a, without a real bottle opener, just low quality? Uh, yeah, you're not really trying. And that, you know, you've not... never been in that position where you had to figure out how to open a, a beer and you didn't have the proper beer opening tool, like... You improvised, right? Mother yeah. of invention. Yeah. As, as I've always said, the world is your bottle opener. What, what here is not a bottle opener? <laughs> Everything here. Well, so like how many times, when was the first time you had to push a wine cork in with your fingers to open the wine? <laughs> um, I've actually never done that. Oh, I yeah. um, Stand back. He uses a Sharpie. Come on. He's civilized. Yeah, there you go. I've you have to hold the, over and go down. Yeah, yeah I've done the, the Sharpie thing. I don't even think it was a sharper. It was like a dry erase, like a skinny dry erase. Um, and then uh, once I just broke the top off, which I don't recommend. Someone, who is it? Was uh, Someone was telling me today, so like uh, people again who've listened a lot know that I have a particular hatred for South American tamper fruit proof liquor bottles. Oh yeah, Leo. Yeah, and uh, Leo DeGroff was here at the, at the conference. But... Um, 
I have a hatred for those and the 700 uh, milliliter European bottle, which is just a dumb measurement. I mean, not the 750 is not dumb, but it's our, it's like, it's a dumb measurement. It's our dumb. It's to, our uh, dumb. To, to finish painting the word picture for the listeners, uh, Kevin uh, then squeezed a, a wedge of lime, pushed it into his Tecate, and then uh, was a few dashes of uh, Cholula, uh, not Tabasco, which was his first round. He's upgraded. Uh, any salt in this one? <clears throat> not yet. But uh, the Tabasco, while I love Tabasco and would carry it around with me, um, like right out of the gate when you put it in the beer bottle, like that'll get you right in the uh, in the soft palate. Because of the vinegar. Oof, man. Because it's high vinegar. Yeah. That one stays on your lips. Apparently, if you visit Avery Island in Louisiana, where the Macalini, Mac- that's the name mm. of them, right? Where they live, like, you, like it's like... Like not possible to stay there. It's like it's like uh, from the fumes of the Tabasco. You know they also bribed a bunch of Louisiana judges so that they could trademark the name of what is essentially a pepper. Like anyone should be able to make a Tabasco sauce because it's like saying, imagine if you trademarked jalapeno sauce. You can't do that, right? Tabasco is a pepper. Isn't there all sorts of crazy stuff with Avery Island and that family? Like I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, they're like old school corrupt. Louisiana, but they also make, like, a great sauce that everyone loves. Yeah. That sounds a lot like new school Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Louisiana, well, you know, anyway, we're going to we'll leave Louisiana to itself. Like, you, what are your thoughts on, uh, we, we're going to go there soon, it curtails the cocktail. What are you guys' thoughts on that whole? Uh, props to the city of uh, New Orleans for taking down uh, some Confederate, uh, you know, statues. Uh, I think that's a uh, long overdue. Do you see that guy in Mississippi? No, what was the guy in there Mississippi? There was a state rep in Mississippi. I'm not making this up. No. L- literally, literally said that he wanted to go lynch somebody for taking down those things. And I believe he's a funeral director in his daytime job. Not that there's anything, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, like, just painting, as you know, Don said, painting the full picture. But he's a state rep, I think in Mississippi. And that is literally what he said. Listen, Texas state reps are uh, threatening uh, or reminding people that they are currently armed and, you know, have a gun before other state reps vote on uh, different propositions. So it's wait, uh, wait, 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 they're like threatening people with violence no, in the no, state house? It's, it's, not, it's not a direct threat. It's just, you know, might I remind you that I am armed at the moment? Yeah. Sounds like a threat. Anyway, I don't know how we get on that. Uh, we should, whatever. We should back, backtrack. Um, we're talking about way. Kevin had a question about way. What's the question about way? I would say, are you seeing milk and dairy products in lots of cocktails? I mean, you get around, you see a lot of the world. Um, that was one of those ingredients that I think sort of fell out of favor for a number of years. And like people didn't want to deal with it. And it was gross. And most adults don't drink milk. I mean, um, I use it a lot. I use it a lot, like a lot. Like a huge chunk of the menu at Booker and Dax had was was milk washed. Mm-hmm. You know, had had, uh, but like n- almost no drinks were perceptively milky, and that's the thing. But that's the problem with it having on the menu at all is that if it's people, there are some people who won't order it because they don't want something milky. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but I think. Well, that's where whey, I think, is kind of an interesting proposition. Because but it sounds it's... gross. No one wants it. What are you going to do? I'm going, you know what? Whey. It's got whey syrup in it. That's what I'm going to But there's so many clever puns. There's yes way, no way, sea way. 
Oh, what's well, uh, one of the bartenders attending the seminar was like, "Oh man, what if you made like a a way and nephew cocktail with some?" Rum? Oh, <laughs> way and nephew, I like that, I like that. But like you saying, one of those, which one of those ways was like way like Mexican way? Uh, the one with tequila. Ah, remember? Did you ever see uh, what was that famous uh, movie where, where he would go to every bar and they would try to hand him a beer in a glass and he'd say in a bottle way? What movie was that? Remember that? No. That was one of the early Rodriguez <laughs> movies, I think. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Random. So, oh yeah, I know what I want to tell you about Mexico. So Leo DeGroff, who was here at the conference earlier, basically said that these bottles, these tamper-proof bottles from South America and Mexico, they have those freaking little balls in them so yeah. that you can't... Which every, they're execrable. They should be eliminated from the universe. He said that he knew these Mexican bartenders he was working with who literally could just grab the bottle and smash it, like literally smash the top off without breaking the bottle on a consistent basis. Like he claimed that they would hit it, hit the bottle in some kind of horizontal fashion that would knock the uh, the like the, the the preventer, like that would keep keep you from uh, pouring back into the bottle, such that it would go flying across the room and land in a trash can consistently. He did say that. I'm now remembering that he in fact did say that, which seems I'm not going to say. Impossible. I'm going to label that as improbable. There's a. It'd be a, badass if it was real, though. If I could, I would sit around for like days, just being just like, buying cases of it and just chink, 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 chink. There, there's a certain uh, lawyer bartender from Mexico City that I think we can ask. Yes, who may or may not be working with us on our may or may not next project, which we may or may not announce if we ever get a freaking lease. You should not, people. You should not get me started on New York City, especially on Community Board 3 and how anti-business, how what a, just a rancid group of, like, protein scum they are. Like, they are the nastiness around the outside of a bathtub that hasn't been cleaned properly in the last five decades. Like, that's where they are from a standpoint of humanity. They care nothing about... What their fellow human, all they want to do is crap on the dreams of their fellow citizens. That's all. They have no dreams of their own other than to crap on your dreams. And that, that is what fulfills their lives. So speaking of protein scum. Well, you say it's accurate? I'm not being inaccurate, am I? <laughs> but am I being inaccurate? They have uh, certain goals that I do not think are realistic. And, uh, you know, it's to each their own. Uh, it is the world that we live in. No, but, uh, People that we to will each their own. No, listen, with. listen, listen. If my own, if the if the my own that you're leaving me up to is to just spend my days trying to prevent you from doing something that's not going to have any bearing on my life, is that valid? Well, that's your your assumption is that it's not going to have any bearing on their life. They believe it has a direct bearing on their life. I mean, maybe they're just getting prepped for Congress. Oh. Anyway, so on Way, so I use Way. We, were we still talking about Way? Seaway. Seaway. So I use Way, but I've never added direct like Way powder. Like it's just I've always used like whole milk and then broken it. Um, I don't know. Like Do you use I, milk powder, milk solids, and anything? Nope. Um, what do you think about using uh, Way instead of Aquafaba? Oh, why are you trying to do this to me? Don's just trying to make this Listen, uh, you know what I use milk powder in? I use milk powder in uh, English muffins. 
which by the way, I'm not too proud to say, uh, too proud to say I use Alton Brown's English muffin recipe. And he uses milk powder in it. And I think Alton Brown has a fine English muffin recipe. And you can get it on the internet on the Food Network website for the, for the serious, it's not serious eats, what's it called? Good eats, right? Uh, I think his English muffin recipe is, is good and it uses milk powder. I'm also getting, uh, I've been working on trying to do Chinese, um, the uh, lava buns, you know, the, uh, like the custard lava buns. Uh, and those use evaporated milk. And so I'm getting interested, and there's a there's a whole train of thought on mac and cheese with evaporated milk. Ooh, hmm. yeah, interesting. Doesn't so, break, right? It's already concentrated, and you know it adds that kind of like I'm a little worried on some of these preps that if you because the problem is if you overdope on milk solids, you can get uh, lactose crystals uh, condensing out, and then it's grainy. So like, mm. one of the reasons not to go too high on milk solids in ice cream, let's say, mm. is that at low temperatures especially, you get lactose crystals that kind of ruin the texture of the ice cream. But I've been working on these condensed dairy things. So I'm also like, you know, Don and I, if, you know, if we ever get this bar open, like we're going to have to have some sort of snack program. We're going to do something interesting. So I've been looking at it. So what else have I been playing? Not with whey. I've been playing a- around. I've been very obsessed recently with dried mushrooms. I've been on a dried mushroom kick. I've been eating uh, preposterous amounts of wood ear mushrooms, just like stupid quantities of wood ear mushrooms. It's one of the most satisfying thing to bite into. Yo, yeah. Oh, yeah. The texture of a wood ear mushroom is just like, like on point. Yeah. It's an on-point texture. You know what I mean? would imagine, like, if you're, like, I don't love tripe or some of those, like, kind of gelatinous, chewy, cartilaginous things, but the wood ear gets me there without the, like, squeamish, I'm eating weird animal parts. Yeah, and they're so easy to keep in your house, and they gain 10 times their weight in water. I measured it. It was 10 times. I got 10 times, like, the thing, and, like, uh, and it's just, I don't know, yeah, they're so satisfying, and you're like, they're so, but you know what I realized recently is like, uh, you want to buy the higher quality wood ear mushrooms. If you buy the cheapest possible wood ear mushrooms, there's still substrate left on the mushroom where they rip it off and then you can get grit. So if you spend a little bit more on your wood ear mushrooms, it takes a lot less time in the prep. You know what I've been working on now though? You ever have the, you ever buy the snow fungus? No. So that's the, the snow fungus. I forget the name of it. Uh, it starts with a T. It's the one that looks like that looks like a scrubby pad, like a white mm, scrubby yeah. pad, right? And those are amazing. Also, like a texture-based mushroom, but you can do a lot of funky stuff with that. So I've been working a lot with that. It's another, like, absorbs an incredible amount of stuff, but I've been working on these, these mushrooms. I don't know why. A huge dried mushroom kick. There's a, any kind of correlation to your children now being vegetarians and... Enemies of quality? Uh, well, again, for those of you that haven't tuned in recently, Booker and Dax have both decided to be vegetarian, but they're that they're vegetarians who don't like mushrooms. So Jen, my wife, was making... So Jen's decided for some reason that she's going to start cooking. I'm like, well, if you learn to cook, then I'm just afraid she's going to divorce me because what is she going to need me for anymore? She already learned how to make coffee. Like like two, three years ago, Like she's like, all right, Dave, I'm going to learn how to use the espresso machine. I'm like... Really? You're going to learn how to make your own coffee? She's like, yes. I taught her how to make coffee, so she doesn't need me for that. You know, she's the one that pays the bills, uh, so if she learns to cook, like, I'm done. The hell does she need me for? You know what I mean? Dog walker? 
Thank you. Yes, I'm still the one who, but she's doing that right now while I'm here in California. But yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm. This is getting grim. Yeah, it's toast. Toast. Like you know, I'm firm. You'd be a hell of a bachelor, though. I'd be the world's worst bachelor if I was not. (laughs) If I was not married, I would be homeless. Like I would. You'd you'd be the leather man. (laughs) I would be the leather man. I'd be. I'm like. I would be. Like I am. Like. But for my wife and my family, I am a non-functional human being. Like, like I'm like even like this is honest truth is like is like I need a support network to live because I am not like you know what's the word like uh, connected to other people in a normal way. You know what I mean? Like I don't communicate. You know, you know. <laughs> you know uh, I. Don't do things that people think are reasonable. You know what I mean. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it makes it uh, it makes it difficult. But anyway, so listen, people. Uh, next week we will also be doing uh, this convention. We'll be in Pittsburgh, uh, so we could actually bring the same crowd back again um, next week. But uh, next week we're going to try to actually get some questions from Nastasia. Maybe get Nastasia call in because we're going to be on the same time zone. Uh, but we'll look forward. And so I didn't answer any of your questions from this week. I apologize. We'll try to get to it next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.